I would like to open by thanking you, the church family, our pastor, the deacons and staff, and you for your prayers and for the beautiful flowers that you sent to my younger brother's sudden death and funeral that we had last week. So thank you for your prayer support. Today, I would like to dedicate this sermon to my precious wife. She has the one, is the one who made a profound and eternal impact on the lives of our two sons. She is the one God most used in our family to teach our sons the importance of living their faith in a day-by-day way. She has been a Christ-like example to me, to our sons, to our daughters-in-law, and to our four precious granddaughters. And so I dedicate this to Joyce. She is my wife, uh, my best friend, and a prayer warrior right now. This morning, using the little epistle of 3 John, way at the end of your Bible, after First and Second John, you get to 3 John. And uh, this is about a mother's greatest joy, as John the Beloved wrote in verse 4, I have no greater joy than this. To hear of my children walking in the truth. As you could imagine, 3 John is the shortest letter in the Greek New Testament. John is writing this letter to his dear friend, Gaius, whom he probably led to faith in Christ. He wanted to strengthen Gaius in his faith since there were false teachers. Just as we have false teachers today in our city, in our state, in our world, there were false teachers in John's day. John was writing this letter to help him to know how to walk in a way that was pleasing the Lord. As we as a church seek to obey our Lord's mandate to make disciples through our Sunday school, it is important for us to follow the example of John, the beloved apostle, in helping people understand, once they have trusted Jesus Christ, what it means to live the Christian life. Now, obviously, all of this begins with our having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And surely, as I look out at mothers' faces today, there is no greater joy that you could have, that we can have, than to know that our children are not only our children, but when they have repented of their sin and trusted Jesus, they are God's children. They are part of what we call God's forever family. And mothers, especially these young mothers that were a parent-child commitment today, let me encourage you. Take your God-given opportunities that you will have to share with your precious little one how he or she can come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Use God's Word in teaching them this. For example, use John chapter 8, verse 32, where the John wrote, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Once we've come to experience Christ, we are free from the bondage of sin. We still sin from time to time, but sin cannot have us in bondage any longer because we have victory in Christ Jesus. And there is no greater freedom than to have the freedom of being free from the bondage of sin. Jesus wanted to make it simple. He wanted us to know how simple it is to have a personal relationship 
with himself. So he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. He's teaching this to his disciples who were greatly worried about what was going to happen. He was about to leave them and they didn't understand this. And he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, you need to be sure you get this clear because we live in a a politically correct world. And this is not politically correct to say, but I want you to make sure your, your children understand the truth that I'm about to tell you. It's one that I know most of us believe. There is only one way to know for sure that we are going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And that is through repenting of our sin and trusting Jesus Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior. That is the one and only way that we can know for sure that when we die, we will spend eternity with God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, the first part of verse 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. You see, God had said there was a penalty for sin. It has to be paid. Now, you can pay your own penalty. That's your choice. Or you can accept the payment made by God in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, who became the embodiment of sin there hanging on the cross, taking upon himself our sins so we could be forgiven. He said the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. We are eternally secure in Christ. I was preaching in Big Stone Gap, Virginia a few weeks ago in a revival. And I shared this truth. One of the persons in the service that night struggled with this truth of being eternally secure. But it's a truth from God's Word. It is a reassuring truth because it puts the focus on Jesus and not ourselves. I want you to see how very secure you are once you've truly repented of sin and once you've trusted Jesus Christ. I want you to look in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. And listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself. He said, and I give eternal life to them. And they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see, this is where the big difference is made between Christianity and religion. Religion is just doing the best you can, hoping that maybe the good will outweigh the bad, and we know it never does because we know our own lives. But Christianity is all about what Jesus Christ did. The sinless Son of God, the one who never sinned, offered a perfect sacrifice once for all. He died on the cross. And he says that if you and I will repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we don't hold on to God. He holds on to us. He said, I have you secure, and the Father who is greater than all has you secure. No one can snatch you out of our Father's hand. You see, this is why it is so important for us to know the truths of God's Word. 
Once we have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then we've got to go on, as my wife has done and as I've tried to do with our children and our grandchildren, to teach the basics of what's involved in living the Christian life. And I'm going to share with you three truths that I believe are fundamental and basic to living the Christian life. The first truth involves to walk in the light. And if you'll look in 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, as we see what he says about what it means to walk in the light. John wrote, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sin. To walk in the light simply means that we, we will live our lives in obedience to the Word of God. That's why it's so fundamental that we teach at our Sunday school that you study at home the Word of God so people will understand what it means to walk in fellowship. I, I'm thankful for the student ministry. Tripp and the others in there are teaching them about some life truths about sex. We're not trying to do sex education in the church. We're trying to teach them what does the Word of God say about this vital area. And so we teach that. That's why we taught the transferable concepts. So that you would be understanding of what's involved in being a great commissioned Christian. You see, as our children grow older, they will understand the Bible as God's protective boundaries. It is sad to me to see some Christians see the Bible as a rule book. A, a, a rule book instead of a guide book. You see, what the Bible does, it reveals some very explicit yes and no's of thou shalt and thou shalt not. But what it most develops, and if you read just the Ten Commandments, for example, you learn about these protective boundaries that God has established for our lives. And you will see the Bible as a, a book about relationships and living within the protective boundaries so we will experience a full and meaningful life that God wants us to have because we've ordered it according to the Word of God. So don't look at the Bible as a rule book, but as a book revealing relationships with God and with one another. That's what the Ten Commandments do. Those first about God relationship and then about our relationship with one another. Now, I want to show you what Paul said about how we can live within the protected boundaries. Because, you see, it's going to involve a daily choice. Even though we're Christians, we still have the possibility of committing sin. So I want to show you how to live a life that is pleasing to him, how to walk in the light. Look with me in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, where Paul wrote this. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. 
And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as members, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. It involves a daily choice. We come up and we have a choice to make. And we know the truths of God's word, the light that we have studied. And we are to say yes to righteousness and no to unrighteousness. Yes to God and no to the flesh and no to the self-life. So teach them to walk in the light of God's word. His beautiful book that is absolutely true. The second thing we need to teach our children, and all of us need to learn, is how to walk in love. Look over in 2 John. 2 John, verses 5 and 6. Back over at the end of the New Testament. 2 John, verses 5 and 6. Where he wrote these words about walking in love. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, But the one which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. John must have thought this was a very important truth. Because he talked a lot about the importance of walking in love. He developed this, for example, in John chapter 13. Verse 34, where he's quoting the Lord Jesus as saying, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 13, 34 says that we're to love one another as God loves us. And he loves us completely. And so we're to have a love relationship with God and as a result, love others. In fact, Jesus drove home the point, if you look at the very next verse, John 13, 35, where he said, by this, he's telling, talking about love, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It is the identifying mark of a true Christian. They love God, and because they love God, they love other people. In fact, Jesus went even further to develop the importance of obedience and love. In John chapter 14, verse 21, he said, He, or the one who has my commandments, and keeps or obeys them, is the one who loves me. In other words, if I say to you, Anthony, do you love Jesus? Yes, sir. Are you obeying Jesus? Yes, sir. Right there. Same question. Love and obedience, one and the same. And so, just want to make sure you were listening. And one and the same thing that we understand, and that's the way God wants us to live our lives. That we're to walk and follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. By teaching our children to walk in love, we're simply saying, be Christ-like. Friends, I know you know it as well as I do. We live in a tough world. It's tough out there in the workplace where you are. And people are looking for, they're searching for love. 
I mean real love, not, not this artificial love that is pictured out there for us so often. They're looking for true love, for true acceptance, for true forgiveness. Because we sin against one another and we hurt one another. So we need to demonstrate these qualities because these are qualities that God demonstrates toward us. We don't always act in a loving way toward him, but he's always loving us. We don't always act like his child, but he says you're accepted in the beloved. And we don't always forgive others, but he's always forgiving us. And he's teaching us, be loving, be accepting. Don't compromise, but accept and then forgive. So the last thing we need to teach our children is how to walk in faith. This is an absolutely essential truth. Now, what makes this so essential is what the Bible says about walking in faith. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, Whatever in your life is not of faith is sin. That's a, that's a broad paint stroke there. Whatever that is not of faith is sin. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews wrote in verse 6, Without faith, it is not hard. It is impossible to please God. Without understanding the truths of God's Word and living a faith life, which means living it according to the teachings of the Word of God, it's impossible for us to please God. Verses like these tell me that it's important that we teach people about faith living. I like what Dr. Warren Wearsby wrote about this. He said, True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word. That book establishing the boundaries for our protection so that we will be living a life pleasing to him. Now, let's be clear about something. We need to be clear about faith. Our faith is only as good as its object. And for the Christian, God is the object of our faith, so our faith is secure. The source of our faith is found as we look in the Word of God. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You see, you cannot grow as you should as a Christian devoid of the Word of God. You need to have a daily devotional time when you read God's Word so you will understand what you should do as a Christian and what you should not do. That's the way we know how not to present our lives to unrighteousness, but to present our lives to righteousness, as Paul talked about over in Romans chapter 6. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is a very important subject. Our pastor preached about it a few months ago. You remember one of the truths he shared from James chapter 2, verse 20? Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's useless. Now, we as Baptists are real strong on by grace through faith. And we are not saved by our works. That needs to be crystal clear. We're not saved by our works, but by the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But, now listen, that we believe that faith 
and works go together and works are an evidence that we have true faith. James wrote in chapter 2, verse 14, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? James asked this question. Can that faith, a dead faith, a useless faith, can that kind of faith save? If there are no works in your life, you've never been saved. Because works are a byproduct of being a part of God's children. We teach Ephesians 2.8 that we've been saved by grace through faith. But notice what follows. That verse, in verse 10, Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 2.10. Right after he finished talking about being saved by grace through faith, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we as Christians are living by faith, we'll be living in accordance to the truths of God's Word. And when we're living in obedience to the truths of God's Word, we experience one of the most beautiful promises God has ever made to His children. And you've got to, you've got to be walking in fellowship with Him. But listen to what He promised in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I take that very literally. I do not believe that as I'm living in fellowship with God, he's going to let me have any need go unmet. I may have some wants to go unmet, but I never have a need, because this is the promise of God. So I close by reminding you of this. A mother's greatest joy. I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in truth. That really should be the greatest joy of all of us, but I know especially of mothers. So let me remind you, once you've talked to your children, once you've talked to people about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by repenting of sin and trusting Jesus, good works are going to emanate from your life through the enabling, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to begin to teach them and train them. That's what Sunday school is so vital for, to teach them to walk in the light of God's Word. We're going to teach them to walk in love toward God and toward one another. And we're going to teach them about what it means to walk in faith, which simply means walking in accordance to the teachings of the Word of God. But the fundamental question is this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you, like my younger brother, face sudden death just like that, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Because after death, there is no choice. You must make it on this side of that experience. You can make that experience right now. You can say, Dear God, I admit I've sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe that your son Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again and offers me the gift of eternal life. I receive him right now. Father, I ask you to work in lives of people that maybe do not have a personal relationship who will settle that issue on this very special day, on Mother's Day, and have an eternally secure relationship. 
And then I pray that we as Christians will walk in light and walk in love and walk in faith toward one another. Touch lives of people who might need to join our fellowship. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. You respond publicly. Our ministers are down front to greet you right now.